what's better than two professionals talking Flyers hockey? Two amateurs. This is Getting Bullied, a Flyers hockey podcast. Now put the kids to bed and crank it up. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Podcast partner of phillyisflyer.com. This is Getting Bullied. Follow the show at underscore Getting Bullied on Twitter. Follow the mothership at phillyisflyer on Twitter. I'm Mark Gino and joined as always by the smartest man that I know when it comes to hockey talk, Mr. Dan Silver. Dan, what's going on, my friend? What's going on, man? Kind words. I probably wouldn't agree with you on that, but oh man, we got a lot to talk about. It's been a, it's been a crazy few weeks. Both of us were at development camp, which I know we'll get to later, but man, there's there's a lot of great stuff to talk about from a Flyers perspective, including all the fans going crazy on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I mean it, it wouldn't be um it wouldn't be a fulfilling week or a full week rather if Flyers fans weren't freaking out about something on Twitter and, you know, a Sharks first Jets you know, West Side Story type deal. One side wants one thing, another side wants another. We can get into all that later. Um, but yeah, the last time we did this was a couple weeks ago. We were looking into the draft, who the Flyers were going to get, who they weren't going to get. Um, and, you know, we'll dive into the draft while we're going into the prospect camp because the guys that they drafted were there and showed uh, pretty impressively. But to me, and to a lot of people, the big news since we last did an episode came uh, Saturday early evening when the Flyers went ahead and made a bit of a splash in free agency, something some people expected, others did not, when they brought back former number two overall pick, James Van Riemsdyk, uh, traded him away a few years ago to Toronto, now he's back, and uh, a much improved player from the guy that was once in the orange and black, had some development years, really blossomed in Toronto. He shook loose from them because, obviously, they went out and made the biggest splash and got John Tavares. And now JBR's back with the Flyers. So your initial thoughts when you saw that on Saturday was what? My initial thought was kind of uh, excitement, but also, you know, here's a guy who, you know, only had, what, he had 18 assists last year. So my initial thought was, okay, did we pay too much money for him? But then you start looking into it more and more, and then I got more excited. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he's – because I was worried that Hextall was going to sign a 3C and overpay them like a Tyler Bozak or a Riley Nash and give one of those guys too much money for too many years, which would result in blocking the youngsters like Morgan Frost, Mikhail Frobiev, or sign a defenseman to a multi-year contract like a Calvin DeHaan – um, who then might block some of the youngsters. So this signing really works well because the Flyers obviously have the money to do it. And they need a second line left wing, right? I mean, going into the season right now, you'd be looking at Oscar Lindblom as the second line left winger. And he's, he's pretty unproven at this point. You know, you can tell he's got a fair amount of hockey acumen and he's going to be a good player down the road, maybe in this coming season. But now you've got a guy in James Van Riemsdyk who's been one of the leading even-strength goal scorers in the NHL over the past few wings, uh, past few years. Plug him in at left wing, and now you've got a really good top six where you know you can roll out Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, and Travis Konechny as the first line, and now James Van Riemsdyk, Nolan Patrick, and Jake Voracek as the second line. And that just gives you, you know... Uh, 
a lot better matchups when you're going up against opposing teams. Um, JVR, the other thing about him is he's 29 years old. So this contract takes him basically through age 33. It's a five-year deal. I like that too because despite being a big guy, and this is something that Flyers fans would always complain about, JVR is not a physical player. So he probably doesn't have as much mileage on his tires, so to speak, as a guy like Wayne Simmons. So I think that JVR actually should be fine for the length of this contract and should still be able to score a decent amount of goals. He's also a guy, and we can talk about this, who can play the net front on the power play. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he scored a number of power play goals last year. He had 11 power play goals last season. Uh, Obviously, really good total. He was one of the leading power play goal guys in the league. And he plays that net front spot that Wayne Simmons has traditionally been playing and that Nolan Patrick played last year towards the end of the season. So, I think they want to save Nolan Patrick somewhere and tear by taking him off that spot. And now you could use either Simmons or Van Riemsdyk in front of the net, or you could put Van Riemsdyk in the slot where Braden Shen was a couple of years ago. So I think it's a good signing. I think that Flyers fans are going to have to remember that he's not a physical player because a lot of Flyers fans the first time around didn't love him because they thought he should be more physical. Um, they thought he was a little inconsistent those things haven't really changed. Like James is not a very consistent player. Uh, So I think Flyers fans are just going to have to remember that when he comes back. But, you know, I I think it's a really good sign. Yeah. I mean, what I loved about it was it gave the Flyers flexibility. It gave them depth and it gave them scoring something that, I mean, we've talked about in the past. They were desperate for wing depth on this team. They were desperate for scoring depth on this team. And with one move, one signing, they kind of filled both of those needs with, you know, a guy that obviously knows the city, knows, you know, the fan base and everything like that can definitely come in and produce. I mean, I mean, he's scored a career high last year, 36 goals, which would have led the Flyers had he been on the team. He shoots a ton. He would have led the Flyers in shots last year by 20 over Jake Voracek. So just that line right there, the line, if it fo- if it goes the way you said, uh, with Patrick in the middle and then Van Riemsdyk and Voracek on either side, that is a line that is going to produce a lot of shots and likely a lot of offensive scoring chances for this team. And you went from, you're absolutely right, you went from an unproven Oscar Lindblom being your second line left wing to a proven NHL veteran who brings leadership, who will bring experience and can teach the guys underneath him and the flexibility that they have now on the power play, something that a lot of people myself included, we're not thrilled with through the course of the season, especially in the playoffs. It was pretty stagnant for the most part. Now they have so much they could do with the power play because now you have three net front guys in Patrick Simmons and uh, Van Riemsdyk. Van Riemsdyk can do much more than that. I love how you brought up you know, him in the slot. I think that would be a really good spot for him. So they have the potential to have a really dangerous power play if they could push the right buttons and get the right guys on the ice at that time. I, you know, To me, the contract at first, when I first looked at it, scared me a bit. You know, five years, $35 million. Um, You know, this by no means is the contract that 
uh, Paul Holmgren gave to Vinny LeCavalier a few years ago because he's nowhere as old as Vinny was. But, you know, once you start getting into 30, you know, that 30-year range and all that, you start to uh, – well, at least it's just me. Maybe I'm just – groomed this way but I always get a little you know leery of guys once they hit 30 and beyond that but it's not like it's taking him until like 36 37 he's going to be 33 when the contract's over they have the cap flexibility to do it when you make these moves out of free agency you know you play a higher premium for guys and for the people out there that said Ron Hextall is okay with mediocrity he's just getting complacent you know he's waiting for the young guys you know, he really shut all that down because he had the money in his pocket to spend and he went out and did it. He saw a need, a couple needs on his team, and he saw one guy that fit both needs and he went out and pulled the trigger. And, you know, for, I don't want people to think that James Van Riemsdyk's going to come in here and, you know, score 40, 45 goals. Likely that's not going to happen, but he's going to be in the top three in goals for the team. I would like to see him get his assist up a little bit more, um, you know, and we'll see how now having him on a line with Nolan Patrick is going to help Nolan Patrick even more because now he has options on either wing that he could dish the puck to. And, you know, with more scoring prowess on that line, it's going to open things up even more for Patrick so he can get his. So I think this is a great signing and, Kudos to Ron Hextall on his first, probably big, really his first big free agent signing since taking control of this team a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, going into the free agent period, Flyers fans were kind of freaking out on Twitter, and people were kind of split into two camps, right? Those that were like, the Flyers need to go out and sign everyone, versus the folks that were like, hey, let's just keep building from within and maybe next off season we add a high price player. I mean, I probably would have been more in that latter group where keep building from within a bunch of good unrestricted free agents next season. But, you know, you do have to acknowledge that a lot of times, a lot of the best players don't make it to free agency like John Tavares did. And I think this was the perfect signing. I mean, Hextall put out the second biggest contract of any free agent this offseason, right? Aside from John Tavares, James Van Riemsdyk is the only guy who got $7 million a year plus, uh, you know, $7 million for five years. And you really definitely have to give Hextall credit for, for making this signing. And it is it's just in retrospect, like we talked about for so many reasons, it is perfect. Now, one thing to keep in mind about Van Riemsdyk is that he had a lot of sheltered minutes last year. He was playing on the third line for the Maple Leafs and – had matchups against other teams, third lines a lot of the time. So, you know, he he did have some soft minutes, which kind of led to a lot of those even strength goals. But he's also going to be playing with much better players this year if you're going to put him with Patrick and Voracek. So that probably offsets. But any any way you look at it, this was a bold move by Ron Hextall, one that I think by and large almost all Flyers fans celebrated the move. And – yeah, it was, it's combined with the fact that they didn't sign a 3C or a mid-pair defenseman to a long contract that would block some youngsters coming up. And I thought it was like the, the perfect free agency period so far for Ron Hextall. Mm-hmm. What's even better about free agency this time around for the Flyers is they got better by shedding some of the dead weight that um, a lot of us wanted to see them shed. And obviously... 
Valtteri Filippola and Brandon Manning, now gone with new teams. It was a breath of fresh air. It was a sigh of relief when Ron Hextall said that they weren't interested in negotiating and bringing back Filippola. That was awesome. And then Brandon Manning, uh, nice, you know, a classy thing he put out on Twitter or Instagram, whichever one it was, you know, thanking the fans and all that. Um, I think had he saw some of the things that people were saying about him the last couple of years, probably would not have put out that tweet. But, you know, so the Flyers already, and in just making one move and a minimal move today, getting Christian Foline from, uh, I mean, was previously with the Kings, I believe, now going to be fighting for that seventh defenseman spot, with just really one big move in getting Van Riemsdyk and letting go some of the dead weight, so to speak. This team is already head and shoulders above where they were last season, and I put out, uh, when they got Van Riemsdyk, when the deal was done, I put out on Twitter, the, the thing for the Flyers is no longer going into the season. It's not, will they make the playoffs? The goal should be, how deep can they go in the playoffs? You know, this is, I expect, as it stands right now, and obviously there's a lot of problems, there's a lot of, you know, you still don't know what's going on with the goaltenders, you know, Brian Elliott had the injury last season. Can he hold up this season? Who's going to be his backup? If it's Neuwirth, can he stay healthy? You know, will we see Carter Hart at some point? There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of, you know, balls in the air right now that, you know, the Flyers as an organization have to bring in and solve some of these problems. But I expect, even if Brian Elliott is, you know, if he's the guy, if he stays healthy, I expect him to play good enough to get them to the playoffs and hopefully make it to the second round and get these younger players some deep run experience and not just in for five games or six games, whatever it was with the Penguins, and then they're out. So I expect, it's for me, it's no longer about, is this a playoff team? I think it is, and I expect more playoff success than just making it there at this point. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking about this. I think one of the reasons that the offseason, aside from the insanity that ensues when guys like Eric Carlson are available or Flyers fans don't know what free agents they're going to sign. I think that one of the exciting parts for Flyers fans is you don't have to deal with Dave Hackstall making boneheaded decisions in the off season. So, you know, I think the biggest question marks for this team going into the season are one is three C, but who's going to be the third line center. I mean, right now it's looking like a battle between Scott Lawton. Uh, he would be my pick right now. Um, but, you know, the other guys who could possibly do it is Morgan Frost, who we'll talk about later. Uh, if he comes in as a huge training camp, maybe he makes the team as a third-line center. Mikhail Vrobiev maybe, you know, maybe starts the year with the Phantoms. But if he has a big camp, maybe he can be a third-line center. And Jordan Wheel is also a guy who Ron Hextall mentioned could play center. He's played center before. So there's still some question marks at 3C. But I still think the biggest question mark for this team going into the season is what is – Dave Hackstall going to do? I mean, is is he going to let Travis Sanheim develop, have a chance to develop like he should? And, you know, Robert Haig. I mean, a lot of people today on Twitter were kind of freaking out and making jokes that now that they've signed Christian Foline as their seventh defenseman, that this prevents Phil Myers from making the team. That's not really true. I mean, Phil Myers is going to be in a battle against Robert Haig and maybe Radko Gudis to see if he can make the top six, right? Phil Myers is not going to be the seventh defenseman 
for this team. He's not going to sit in the press box every day as the seventh defenseman. He's either going to be a top six AHL defenseman or a top six NHL defenseman. So, you know, but there still is the chance that, that Haxtell could misutilize the defenseman. And who knows what he's going to do with the forwards. We've got Laterra and we still on the team. Hopefully mm. they're going to be in the press box or the AHL for most of the season. So, you know, I don't want to cause consternation for Flyers fans who are excited, so excited they don't have to deal with Dave Haxtell making decisions in the offseason. But I think that's one of the reasons it's easy to be optimistic about this team because we haven't had to deal with that clown uh <laughs> you know, behind the bench. And listen, maybe he can grow as a head coach and we will, you know, refer to his co-headed decisions during the season. You know, we'll, we'll see. But, um, but, you know, I think those are the biggest questions question now are third line center and, and how does Haxtell utilize his personnel? Yeah. A guy that's kind of up in the air ever since they brought in Van Riemsdyk on Saturday. And I saw it almost immediately was people were saying, well, I guess that's it for Wayne Simmons. And, in the long run, maybe it is, you know, maybe now with bringing in Van Reems, like, you know, he will fill in for Simmons on the first line power play. You know, who knows what's going to happen with that? Who knows where, who they're going to use on that first line? But, you know, maybe down the road, maybe as far as long term goes, Wayne Simmons doesn't factor in anymore because you bring in a guy like Van Reemsdyke. And do they want to tie up more money in a guy like Wayne Simmons who you know, isn't the youngest guy in the league. He's, you know, I guess you'd say middle age as far as a hockey player would go. And he's played a lot of tough minutes. Last season, he played injured pretty much the entire season, which can't really weigh well on the rest of your body when you're compensating for parts that aren't working as they should. Uh, But I mean, I think right now I would just leave things as they are. I would leave Simmons where he is with the team. I would, you know, just take pride in the fact and be happy that you have some depth now. You have guys on your top six, and even once you start to get into that third line, now that, you know, once you add a Van Reems, like Simmons drops down to that third line, so now you have a guy on the third line that can put the puck in the net. So right now, and we'll see how the season plays out as far as how healthy he is, if he could pick up his play from last year and maybe closer to the deadline see where the Flyers are, where other teams are. Maybe a move gets made then. But for right now, I would not get him off this team. I would go into the season with this scoring depth that you've now acquired and see how good of a team you can be when you have players on the top three lines that can score at a high clip. Because now you're going to have, on your first line, Giroux, who's a 30-goal scorer. You have... Van Riemsdyk on the second line, 30-goal scorer, and Simmons has been a 30-goal scorer in the past. So this is finally your top three lines have guys who can put the puck in the net regularly and hopefully consistently for Wayne Simmons. So I would leave him where he's at and reassess deeper into the season. Like I said, around the deadline, see where you're at, see where the league's at, if there's a move that could be made, see where he's at as a player. But right now, leave Wayne Simmons where he is and just go into this season ready to score and, you know, ready to really start making some noise at a, you know, from the start to the finish of this season. Yeah. I do think that probably at this point, go into the season with Wayne Simmons on the team. I mean, it is going to create a problem though, right? Because ideally he's going to come back and, and be really good and be a power play contributor and add some punch to the third line. Um, you know, if, if this team is a playoff contender, 
I don't see how they trade him during the season. Maybe I'm wrong, but he's such a leader on this team that if they go into the season with him and they're a playoff contender all season, which they should be, mm-hmm. I think they're going to be hard-pressed to trade him. So they then they run the risk of losing him for nothing, right? I mean, like I said, he's got a lot of wear and tear on his body. At the end of the year, let's say he has a really good season, there's going to be teams lining up to sign this guy to like a seven-year, you know, $45 million contract. And I don't think Hextall is going to want to sign him for a contract that long. It just doesn't seem like a Ron Hextall type of move. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. Um, I don't know. I mean, is there a chance they trade him before the season starts? Yeah. I mean, it depends on what the return is. But like you said, it's probably more likely that they hold on to him. So it just will create some issues moving forward. The team does have – they're going to have a ton of cap space, right? I mean, next offseason, they're going to have almost $35 million wow. in cap space because you've got so many guys. Here's, here's a list of the guys who are going to be free agents next season. Yuri Laterra, who makes $5 million. He'll, he, and he'll be gone. Michael Roffel makes $2.5 million. They probably won't re-sign him. You got Jordan Wheel, who makes $2 million. Simmons is $4 million. And then uh, Neuwirth and Elliott make $5 million combined. They're both going to be free agents. Sanheim, Foline, uh, Konechny, Albe Kubel, all these guys are going to be free agents at the end of next season. Now, a lot of them are RFAs, so, you know, Ivan Provorov's probably going to get a $7 million a year contract. Travis is probably going to get a $5 million a year contract. So you've got to budget in for that. Sanheim's probably going to get 2 to $3 million a year. But they're still going to have a ton of cap space. So they have room to add another big piece if they want. And if Ron Hextall thinks that big piece is re-signing Wayne Simmons, then he'll have the money to do it. But I just feel like they're going to, maybe look to spend that money elsewhere, but who knows? Best case scenario, Simmons comes back and and causes a tough decision because he plays really well. Yeah, looking ahead to what the uh, UFAs are next season, and we were talking before the show, you know, it's not all that common for a top player like a John Tavares to actually make it to free agency, but there's a lot of big names that are going to shake loose next offseason that I think the Flyers would be smarter to invest their money in some of those guys. Uh, Tyler Sagan comes to mind. Artemi Panarin comes to mind. Uh, So we'll see. I mean, but this is, I've said this for a couple months now. This is where we're finally going to get to see Ron Hextall's prowess as a general manager, because now it's not all about, we know we can draft, and it's not all about that anymore. Now it's about, you're going to have money to spend, you're going to have spots to fill, so, and you're going to have big decisions to make. And Probably the biggest one going into the season is Wayne Simmons. Do you want to lose him for nothing if you don't plan on re-signing him at the end of the year? Uh, You know, that's a decision that's on his shoulders that he's going to have to make, and hopefully he makes the right one. But you mentioned Michael Roffel, and a bit of an interesting thing from my weekend. I actually met a girl who said that Michael Roffel is her favorite player on the Flyers. So she's the one. Yeah. What, what, what... (laughs) what, uh, What did you ask her why? Uh, I did. I think it was just, you know, she's, I think she Is it said like, he looks like Theon Greyjoy. Yeah. I mean, she liked the way he played or something. And I was, you know, you really start questioning somebody's decision making when they say that to you. But, 
player. Hey, I like. I have no problems with Michael Roffle. He's a, a very serviceable NHL player who's probably a little bit underrated by Flyers fans. He, he'll be great on the fourth line this year. Fourth line left winger. I mean, our fourth line could be really good this year. Look at something like Roffle and maybe Jordan Wheel in the middle and Nicholas Alway Kubel on the right wing. I mean, they, they're, uh, you know, I'm excited about this team. Yeah, it's going to be a fun season. But let's uh, let's go into, I think, what fans really get excited about. You know, some of the best numbers that we get on this podcast is when we talk prospects, draft, and basically anything young guys, what it has to do with this team. We, me and you, were both at the three-on-three uh, -three tournament on Monday. I was at the prospect camp Friday and Saturday. So, and you obviously know a lot about these prospects so we can kind of go into now what we saw what we wish we saw but didn't see what impressed what didn't um so i'll just I'll, you know i mean i'll go to you first because i know you are a lot more educated on this than i am as far as the three-on-three -three tournament went on monday which by the way that was my first one that i've ever been to it was an awesome experience um it's it, it amazes me in such a football town that Philadelphia is the fact that they pretty much packed and by they I mean the fans they packed into the skate zone in the middle of the summer on 4th of July week to watch young guys in their you know late teens and early 20s play 3 on 3 um, it's amazing to me. It's a true testament to the fans of this team and in this city. But when you were there on Monday, uh, what did you see? What impressed you? Who stood out to you? Kind of give your overview of what you saw as a whole at the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, so by the way, I got I, my articles up on this. If you go to uh, philliesflyer.com, you can check out that development camp tournament recap. I take a bunch of videos. I edit them. I put it together. A uh, lot of stuff on the prospects, and I'll talk, we'll talk about a lot of it now. This is, It's one of my favorite um, hockey events over the summer. I love getting a chance to watch these kids play. You know, last year I didn't know anything about Morgan Frost other than highlights. Saw him play last year in the tournament and basically was like, this kid's really good, and he's going to have a good OHL season, which he did. The one guy who I was extremely excited to see was Jay O'Brien. Because, you know, the Flyers took him at 19. Some people thought it was a bit of a reach. And I think it's mainly because people hadn't scouted him as much. He Most North American draft prospects, you know, either play in the Canadian Juniors or the U.S. Juniors or the U.S. Development Program, like Joel Farabee did. Instead, O'Brien was playing at high school. He played at Thayer Academy, which is the same high school that Jeremy Roenick went to and Tony Amati, Tony Amati went to. And Amani actually coaches the team. O'Brien had 80 points in 30 games. Uh, he, he played a little bit for the U.S. development team and looked good, but, you know, it's hard to get a gauge from, like, 10 games. So I was really excited to see him, and I was fired up by what I saw from Jay O'Brien. Mm -hmm. I gave out some awards in my article. I think he was the most dynamic player in the three-on-three -three tournament. And, and when I say dynamic, I mean the guy who – think about it like this. The guy that when the puck's on his stick – he is going to get you out of your seat, right? Jay O'Brien is extremely fast. He's very shifty. He's a very good stick handler. He's a good finisher. He lit it up in the shootout. He was very good one-on-one uh, -on -one with the goaltenders. Uh, he's just a guy that you can just tell wants the puck on his stick. He's tenacious. He's got a little bit of Jeremy Roenick in him in that sense. You can tell that he's going to be a guy who throws his weight around. He had the only hit 
of the three tournament that I saw. Um, I was just really, really enthused to CJ O'Brien and he was, he was tremendous. He's got a low center of gravity, very quick. I think that he's going to Providence college this year. I think he's going to light it up. I think he's going to be one of the leading freshman scorers, Joel Farabee, who the Flyers took at 14, five picks ahead of Jay O'Brien. He's going to Boston university. I won't be surprised if O'Brien outscores Farabee and Farabee was also extremely impressive in the tournament. He's a guy who, you know, Ron Hextall talked about how deceptive he is and you could really see it. And I posted in some of the videos I posted, you can, you can tell, right. I couldn't, you know, I'm, I'm filming the thing with my phone and I can't really look closely at some of it until I get home and I'm looking over some of the stuff. And I saw a bunch of, of times where Farabee kind of, looked like he was going to shoot and then altered his the altered it a little bit last second and ended up putting a, a, a pass on the tape of a teammate right next to the net um you know he just is he's very deceptive and smooth and Farabee's going to be a very good offensive player he's got a great shot which he didn't showcase quite as much at the tournament but you can see when you watch highlights from him last year with the u.s development team so I was really impressed with both Flyers' first-round picks and Farabee and O'Brien. Um, I'll talk about a few more guys. Why don't you go ahead and talk about who you kind of thought were the most impressive? Uh, well, I tweeted out, I think it was Friday when I was down there, um, a guy that's kind of a bit under the radar, you don't hear too much talk about him, that stood out to me was uh, Carson Twarinski. And what stood out to me so much about him was this was, and this was before the tournament, this was just them doing drills, you know, offensive drills, splitting them up in the groups, doing different things. And when I watched him in these drills, it was like he made it a personal goal to be the absolute best player on the ice during those drills. Uh, they were doing some puck battles, and he was just nailing guys on the back, you know, you know, really working them over with his stick, trying to get the puck away from them. And when he had the puck on his stick, he was very tenacious and trying to keep guys off the puck so he could keep it in his possession. I think another thing what I really liked about him um, in the little bit that I saw of it was his shot. It's it's a pretty it's it's a pretty it's a missile. I mean he's got a pretty good shot to him. Um, I mean and he has some scoring prowess to him in Kelowna WHL last year he scored 45 goals led the team it was ninth in the league um and even when he was up with the Phantoms for five games he had two points so this is a guy that can score a little bit uh me and you were going back and forth on Twitter you liked him as a bottom six guy which I think you know you stick him on a third line uh he could really generate some offense against you know other teams third line some of the lesser players on their rosters so i think a guy like him a guy that looks to be as motivated as he is and wants to be the best player on the ice at any given time is something the flyers can really benefit from uh so i look i look forward to seeing him develop with the phantoms this year and better his game and hopefully he can just keep up the scoring in the AHL Morgan Frost, this is, I mean, I saw him last year. I didn't go to the three-on-three last year, but I saw him, you know, in some of the drills and stuff, and he stood out, and then once he really started picking it up in the OHL, obviously everybody got more interested in him, so I really tried to key in on him 
in the in the tournament and in the drills, and this kid is just phenomenal to watch in person. Uh, something like a three-on-three for a guy like him with his skill set, with his ability to move the puck, with his ability to stick handle, it's a lot of fun to watch. I, al- I almost wish that it wasn't half ice and they had the full ice to play with because he probably would have had guys looking ridiculous. Um and I was just watching him, even in you know, in between drills on Friday and Saturday. You know, he would just find the puck and just, just watching him stick handle. You know, he was just it like it's like he just zoned out, and went into his own world, and you could just tell that he bring he's going to bring such a dynamic element to this team, to the Flyers. Hopefully this year, uh, maybe next. You know, if not this year, the next year. But he's going to bring such a a, an elite playmaking ability to the Flyers roster whenever he gets the call up and he's going to be a fan favorite almost instantaneously because he's that damn good. He's got that much raw talent and raw ability and it's going to be even it's going to be honed even more the older he gets. Um, I know something that you don't like people say is uh, his size. He definitely is a lot bigger this year than he was last year. I mean, it's all, it's out there how much weight he's gained. You could tell just by his stature, you know, when he's on the ice. So that's good to see. Hopefully he keeps that up a little bit. And then of course, Phil Myers, I can't say enough about that guy. I I'm in complete hockey love with Phil Myers. I saw him only a little bit on Friday, Everyone keeps saying the Flyers need a right-handed defenseman. Well, guess what? You have one, and he's going to be – he is every bit a top-pair defensive player, and the Flyers have so many of them that they can't all play on the top line. So it's going to be – once – you know, once he gets the call-up, once he gets some regular playing time with the Flyers – Fans are going to fall in love with this kid because what he can do with the puck as a defenseman, the way he can fire that puck from the blue line, it's 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 something to see. If you haven't seen uh, Phil Myers play any type of hockey in person, if you live anywhere near the Lehigh Valley area, get down to a Phantoms game and watch this kid play because you will be at the edge of your seat every time he's on the ice. And maybe... He won't be in Lehigh Valley this year. I mean, he certainly could make the Flyers out of camp. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I mean, there's I, – I would argue that he's probably – or not probably, but right now would be a better NHL player than likely half of the defensemen on the Flyers. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Myers had a slight pull, quote-unquote, uh, according to Ron Hextall, so he did participate in the three-on-three tournament. Yeah, uh, A little upsetting. disappointed. I didn't get a chance to see him. First, let me touch on Carson Tewardski because – I actually said this, not last year's development camp, but the year before, right after the Flyers drafted him, I was really impressed with Torinsky at development camp. He had a really good shot. He was tenacious. I didn't see that quite as much at last year's development camp. But then, of course, like you said, he came out, he scored 45 goals in the WHL, which is the same league that Carter Hart plays in. Right. And he, to me, is a perfect fourth line winger for this Flyers team because right now the Flyers to me have the deepest forward prospect pool in the entire NHL. So you've got your top six set. Your top left, your third line left wing is going to be a guy like Joel Farabee at some point or um, you know, I mean like Farabee's probably going to be the guy a couple of years down the road. Twarinski could be a third line forward on some teams, I think, eventually. 
But I think this team's going to have such good third and fourth lines that having him on the fourth line is a guy who can um, play with grit. He's a very physical player, and he also has that great shot and a great touch around the net. It's it's going to be great to see our fourth line dominate other teams' fourth lines, and Torinsky's the type of guy who could play on that line. So I totally agree with you. I actually think he's going to have a better AHL season this year than Germán Rupsov. If I had to guess, I would say Torinsky will be the best rookie on the Phantoms this year, at least rookie forward. Uh, Carter Hart will probably be the best rookie goaltender. But I, I really like Torinsky. Um, Morgan Frost goes without saying you know, how much I love Morgan Frost. I mean, he, in my write-up, I said he was the best playmaker during development camp. Some of the passes that he makes, you just sit back and are like, how did he make that pass? It's The way he I don't sees know if the ice. Oh, is... he, it's, his hockey IQ is absolutely incredible. And it's like, yeah. do you remember during the flyer season, Claude Giroux at one point made a pass where his, like, his, his back was to the ice. He was on the boards and he got a puck coming to him and he like deflected it at right the perfect angle that sent Sean Couturier in for a breakaway. It was like this incredible pass that Giroux made. And you're like, how in the world did he make that pass? That's how I feel when I watch some of the plays that Morgan Frost makes. And I think that the more I watch Morgan Frost, he really reminds me of Claude Giroux just from the other side. So Morgan Frost scored a lot of, he's got a great shot too. He scored a lot of power play goals this year for Sault Ste. Marie where he was in the right face-off circle where Jake Voracek sets up shop and he'd fire home one-timers. It's like the opposite side of the ice that Giroux fires home one-timers from the left face-off dot. Mm -hmm. So I really, the more and more I watch him, I, I just see so much Claude Giroux in Morgan Frost. And he's, man, I think he's definitely has a shot to make the Flyers as the 3C. But I think Ron Hextall kind of has it in his mind that he's likely going back to the OHL for his final season. Um and play in the world junior championships. So I, I think probably it'll, there'll be another year of development, uh, the juniors for frost, but I, you know, they have him as the, as the three C if he really impressed them in camp, I think he certainly has a chance to, um, to make the flyers, but we'll see the goalies. So for the second straight year, Carter Hart and Felix Sandstrom were far and away, the two best goalies in development camp. And, this certainly expected of Carter Hart, right? He made a ton of great saves. He's We've talked about him ad nauseum. Carter Hart had probably the greatest season by a goalie prospect ever in the history of the sport, certainly in the history of the Canadian juniors. I mean, he had a 1.6 goals against average, a 9.47 save percentage. He was named the MVP of the WHL. He won his third straight WHL top goaltender uh, award. Carey Price only two of them. No other goalies ever won three of them and he was phenomenal as expected felix sanson was a guy who last year i had him ranked higher than carter hart in the prospect rankings simply because uh whenever i'd seen him live i thought sanstrom outplayed him and in the world junior championships sanstrom outplayed him a couple of years ago sanstrom makes these incredible athletic saves he was great last year and then he had all these injury issues this year you know, they were saying that it was a quote-unquote hiatal hernia. Um, the reporters asked Sandstrom what exactly was the injury he was dealing with, and he said, well, it was something related to the motto that he had a few years ago, and he didn't have surgery, and he's, you know, he's going back to Sweden for one more season, and, and hopefully he can be healthy and really keep improving. But this camp, for me, was a very good reminder that 
the Flyers don't only have one elite goaltending prospect, but Felix Sandstrom is also an elite goaltending prospect. So it's it's important to keep that in mind. They were both great. Uh, I was excited to see Kirill Ustamenko. He's the goalie that the Flyers took in the third round of the draft last year. Mm-hmm. He had a really good season in the MHL, which is the Russian Junior Leagues. Um, his stats were phenomenal. So I was excited to see him. He wasn't he didn't really do anything of note. He didn't stand out. He was not one of the better goalies. So obviously, you know, maybe he just had a few bad games or whatever in this development camp mm-hmm. format. And I'm still excited to see him progress, but he wasn't as, as good in the format. Uh, you know, one more guy to make note of is Isaac Ratcliffe. Yes. We definitely have to talk about. So, yes. you know, in last year's draft, the Flyers traded a late second round pick, third round pick, and a fourth round pick to trade up into the early second round, and they took Isaac Ratcliffe. I mean, that's clearly an overpayment. You're sending a second, third, and fourth round pick for a second round pick. And clearly they liked Isaac Ratcliffe a lot. So he is a huge power forward. I'm pulling up his profile now. But Ratcliffe is, I think he's 6'6", weighs about 200. They took him last year. I was not all that impressed with him at the development camp. He kind of looked gangly and not not all that skilled or coordinated. So he goes out in the OHL last season. He scores 41 goals. I think he that put him like fifth in the league in goals. He plays in the same league as Morgan Frost. So he was like fifth in the league in goals. He scored five goals in six playoff games. And he was probably, to me, the most improved player from last year's development camp to this year because his team won. And they were completely dominant. And he was a major reason for it. And not just because of the offense. I think he scored four or five goals. But the defense. Like He was playing an all-around game. He was very responsible. You could see that he wanted the puck on his stick. He looked a lot more coordinated, obviously, for a guy that's 6'6". It can take some time to, as Ron Hextall put it, link up You know, your bottom half with your top half. Mm-hmm. But Rat- Ratcliffe, to me, is developing into the kind of prospect who – his upside to me is now first line NHL winger and he plays the left wing. Um, he could probably end up playing the off wing and play right wing if he needs to, but he looks to me like a potential first line player for the flyers. Uh, and so I was really excited to see Ratcliffe Carter Hart. He made Carter Hart look silly on one goal where he just picked the top corner. <laughs> so Ratcliffe's a guy that I'm very excited about. I know you're pretty high on him too. Yeah, uh, I really liked him. I really liked the draft pick of him last year. There's something about a guy with his size, with his skill set, that really stands out to me. You look at a guy like Isaac Ratcliffe, with as big as he is, as tall as he is, you wouldn't expect him to be as agile and as quick-handed as he is. But he has really good hands for a guy his size. He's a very good offensive player. I mean, that's a deadly combination. We have a guy that could drive the net as good as he is and make a last-second stick handle around a goalie. That's something that every team in the NHL wish they had at least one player that could do at 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, whatever he is. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. Because last year at the when I went down to the development camp and I saw him, you know, I was really excited to see him because I liked him so much, and he didn't really... Uh, fulfill my excitement that I had going for him going into the camp last year, but this year, I mean, it was head. It was uh, like night and day how much better he was this year, and that you know, 
A lot of it goes into the development that these guys are going through with their respective teams during their seasons, and he came in a much better player, a much more polished player, a much more, um, you know, just it seems like he's he made smarter decisions than he did a year ago at the camp. And, you know, it, it, with these camps, it's such a small sample size that you see these guys in, but every now and then there's something in a drill or in the tournament that you see that, you know, sparks your interest and you're like, wow, there's, okay, that's a guy that definitely gets it. He knows, you know, he made the right decision there. It's different from the drills than it is for the three-on-three because the three-on-three, and and hockey purists would hate this because it's three-on-three to begin with and you you decide ties with a shootout. So the hockey, the old hockey purists scoff at at something like a three-on-three tournament and a prospect game. But it's still somewhat of a game situation and you can see these guys, how they think on the fly while the game's going on. And Isaac Ratcliffe definitely stood out in the three-on-three. The goal that you're talking about with Carter Hart was ridiculous and... I mean, hopefully we don't see stuff like that on Carter Hart too often. But you touched on him, and what really impressed me about Carter Hart, obviously his play is ridiculous. His quickness is ridiculous, going post to post. You know, he's something, and you said it best uh, on Twitter a couple days ago, maybe even a week ago. uh, So, you know, a, a fan put out a picture of her and Carter Hart at the trial on the aisle, and you said if he pans out... He's going to own this city, and you are absolutely right, because it's one thing to see videos, but to see this kid in person doing what he does best, I, I, I'm i dubbing him right now that this kid is the franchise at this point. This, I mean, he's going to save this franchise from the goalie hell that they have been in since Ron Hextall, and it's really exciting to see. But what I most liked about seeing Carter Hart during the three-on-three tournament was you wouldn't know the difference from it being a three-on-three tournament to Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals because there was, there was one play where uh, I think there was a – I can't remember if he made the save or not, but, like, a, a player, like, kind of ran into him and bowled him over a little bit, and he got up looking for a penalty call, and there was no refs on the ice. So – and he was visibly upset when he let in some, you know, some – what may be considered soft goals. So this kid's compete level is off the charts. It's through the roof. And he doesn't like letting goals in, what goalie does. But you see a guy like Carter Hart in the middle of the summer at a three-on-three tournament in front of, you know, a few hundred people getting just as mad that he let a goal in as he would in a full-fledged game for whatever team he plays for. So that's the type of competitiveness. That's the type of tenacity you want and you expect in your top flight goalie prospect and this kid I swear this is not you know this is not blowing smoke up anyone's ass this kid is the real deal and when he gets up here when he finally is up and playing full time with the Flyers he is going to take this city by storm and people are going to absolutely fall head over heels in love with him and I cannot wait till he is the Flyers' full-time starting goalie, because then it's just strap in and get ready for the ride of a lifetime. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, goalie prospects are notoriously hard to predict how they're going to do as they move up the, the competitive chain. I'm so confident that Carter Hart is going to be a star in the NHL, and what 
makes you think that is that he's just so focused. Um, everything that he does is centered around making himself a better goaltender. He's, you know, he's, he's had a sports psychologist that he's had for a number of years. He's, his dieting is like to a T he follows it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just, everything about him is so professional that it, it seems to me very unlikely that he's not going to be able to carry his game over to the professional level. So I am extremely excited about him. I'm also excited that we've got a guy like Sandstrom also there. If for some reason the heart doesn't reach his potential, but the more I see of him, the more it just becomes almost unfathomable to think that he's not going to become a, all-star level goalie in the NHL. And it's you know, like you said, I mean, it's so exciting when I mean, he's like, he's probably going to start the season in the AHL. You would think um, Brian Elliott, Neuwirth are targeted to be the team's top two goalies right now. But as you said, we've seen this story before. Michael Norbert's going to get injured two or three times during the season. Brian Elliott hadn't really been an injury prone guy, but you know, when you start having those kind of groin issues that he did last year and he had that surgery at the end of the season, who knows what's going to happen with him. He's kind of an older guy. So I think you could see a scenario develop where Hart starts the season in the AHL and then uh, Neuberth and or Elliott get injured. The Flyers are in a playoff spot competing for the playoffs. And they say, hey, you know what? Hart's been great in the AHL. We're going to give him a chance. I mean, Ron Hextall has always said that he lets the player determine when they make the NHL. So not many people thought that Travis Konechny was going to make the NHL the year that he did, and he was just so good that he forced their hand. So those are the kinds of things that Morgan Frost could do, that Carter Hart could do. We know what the likelier scenarios are, that neither guy is going to be in the NHL this coming season. But Hextall's been consistent that if they prove that they're ready, He's not going to have any issues with with starting him off in the NHL. So, it's uh, imagine, but yeah, man. Could you imagine a situation that you know similar to what the Flyers went through this year, where they were cycling through goalies, but more importantly, door you know down the stretch and into the playoffs? Could you imagine they go through the same thing this year, and in comes Mister Franchise to step in Game One of the playoffs for the Flyers? What that would do to this fan base? Oh, well, you could. I mean, it's it's what happened with with the Penguins and Matt yeah. Murray. There was a, it was one year later, right? Matt Murray played a full season in the AHL, but what happened was, you know, Mark Andre Fleury got injured towards towards the middle to end of the season, and Matt Murray got called up, and he led them to a Stanley Cup that year. And obviously, the Flyers and Penguins are in a little bit different um, places in their development time frame. But, uh, but that's the kind of situation you could envision. And again, Murray did spend a whole year in the NHL, so it's somewhat different. But you could see Art coming up mid to end year and, and really, you know, leading this team to a deep playoff run. It'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I don't want to be – I want to kind of play both sides of the fence here with this uh, prospect camp in the three-on-three you know, we gushed about a lot of guys, but, you know, there could have been some guys. I don't know if there were for you, but there was definitely some guys that didn't impress as much as I was hoping. Um, not even so much as much as I was hoping, but um, and one guy that kind of uh, spurred up some debate last year when they drafted him was Matthew Strom. Uh, not the strongest skater. 
I was actually reading a you know, like a progress report or a scouting report rather on him from last year, and I forget the person that wrote it, but they, you know, were kind of saying that he was a really good stick handler and this and that. Um, you know, from what I saw, and you know, I, to be completely honest, I didn't really focus much on him during uh, the tournament, but from what I saw in some of the drills. The stick handling that this person was, you know, fawning over was, I didn't see it. It was almost not, you know, you know, they had a lot of, they had, what stood out to me is they had a stick handling drill where, you know, they set up obstacles, cones, and like a fake stick that you have to just kind of, you know, they give them like whatever, 30, 45 seconds to just, you know, stick handle around these things. And he kept fumbling the puck. He, you know, a lot of the times when he would try to, like, get around a cone, it would end up, like, in the corner, and then he had to go chasing it, and then he kept trying to, like, skip the puck up around stuff, and he just kind of looked like a guy just trying to figure out, you know, he looked like a kid just learning how to stick handle for the first time, so that wasn't all that impressive to me out of him. Um, the guy you mentioned, uh, Kirill Ustamenko, uh, I didn't... Like you said, he he didn't really do anything that jumped out at me. He, you know, I I thought at times he looked kind of weak. He let in a bunch, you know, some soft goals that wasn't, you know, all that thrilling to see. But with the other two guys in front of him, Sandstrom and Carter Hart, obviously, you know, you don't have to worry about too much about a guy like Kirill Ustamenko. But you don't. You know, you can never have too many goalie prospects, but I'm interested to see or uh, hear uh, guys that maybe you expected more out of uh, at the tournament. Yes, yeah, so actually those would be the two guys that I would, would agree with. I mean, Matthew Strome, again, people are talking about his skating. You know, he, goes and he scored 37 goals last year in the OHL, so he only scored four goals fewer than, than uh, Isaac Ratcliffe in the mm-hmm. same league, and... Uh, his team actually beat Morgan Frost's team in the playoffs to get to the Memorial Cup. But he was a guy who, you know, didn't really do anything to impress me in the three-on-three tournament. I I didn't notice him that much. Uh, And you would sort of actually think that with the smaller ice surface that they're, you know, they split the, basically what they did was they took a whole rink, they split it into two rinks, and then they had nets on each, two nets on each half. So you'd expect that maybe Matthew Strom's skill set would be a little better and show itself more in that format because he doesn't have to do as much skating. But I didn't really notice too much that was uh, impressive from Strom. He did score a nice shootout goal, actually, where he did showcase some of his hands. But, uh, but aside from that, he didn't do too much. And like he had a shoulder injury that, that kept him out for some of the playoffs, maybe still recovering from that. But I would agree with you. I was not that impressed with Matthew Strom. And, you know, like we both mentioned, Kirill Ustamenko is a guy who had really, really good numbers over in the Russian juniors and didn't really look that good in the three-on-three tournament. Here's one guy who I wouldn't say I was expecting more from. Um, and actually, he led the tournament in goals, was Pascal Leberge. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought there were a lot of goals that basically Morgan Frost was setting him up on one-timers right by the side of the net. So I continue to think that Pascal LeBerge, it's a shame he was a second-round pick, and that concussion, that awful hit he took, really sort of changed the way that he plays. And he you know, seems to play around the perimeter more often than not. He's a guy who, 
again, didn't do anything really to impress me all that much, despite the gaudy goal totals he had. Uh, you know, a couple more guys that I think worth talking about that that were um, that played well. You know, Mikhail Vorobiev to me looks NHL ready. He's he's not never going to wow you in a three on three tournament like this, but he's a very good defenseman, two way defenseman. He's what is he? He's six. 6-2, He's very strong on the puck. He's um, a phenomenal passer. He led the World Junior Championships in assists a couple of years ago. And he's going to be a guy who's competing for the third line or fourth line center spot for the Flyers. He played his first season with, in the AHL last season. He had some nagging injuries, but he was had a pretty good season. So he really stood out to me because he just looked like he was a lot better and more confident than a lot of the other players in the tournament. Germán Rupsov is a guy who is a polarizing figure for Flyers fans. They took him in the draft in the first round a couple years ago. They traded down in 2016 from like 18 to 22. They could have taken Kiefer Bellows or Julian Gauthier, who are two goal scorers, and said they took Germán Rupsov, who's like a two-way Russian forward. And he always impresses in these three-on-three tournaments. He did it last year. I thought he might have been the best forward in last year's tournament, him or Frost. And um, he was impressive again this year. But he just hasn't taken that step forward yet in juniors. He's been playing in the Canadian Junior Leagues. And Isaac Ratcliffe and Matthew Strome and Maxim Zushko, all guys who were taken in last year's draft, outperformed groups of in the same league, basically, the Canadian Juniors. Um, and Rupsov now is going to be turning professional. He's going to be playing with the Phantoms. I think he's going to have a little bit of a rough transition to the Phantoms. He's He needs to find a little more consistency, and I think he needs to bulk up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So he was good in the tournament, but I'm going to be interested to see how he you know, plays in the AHL. A couple of defensemen worth talking about that really impressed me. It's interesting. Now, the Flyers have kind of gone from having one of the deepest defense uh, prospect in the league with Provorov, Sanheim, um, and Haig, and Moran, and Myers, to now they really only have one elite defense prospect in Myers uh, because the other guys are in the NHL. But they're, they've got a couple guys who look good to me, who I wasn't necessarily expecting to see look really good. So Linus Hogberg, who is a Swedish defenseman who they got in the fifth round of 2016, he actually made the Swedish World Junior team last year. He really impressed me in the three-on-three. He made some very skilled plays. He showed hockey IQ, just like Vorobiev. He looked very confident. So I think Linus Hogberg is a guy who is a dark horse and maybe make the Flyers at some point. And Wyatt Kalanuck, who the Flyers took in last year's draft, but he's actually, um, I think he's a couple years older than guys who were taken in 2016. They took him as as an overager. He went to go play at Wisconsin, and he put up 25 points in 37 games, including a really nice end-to-end rush that you can probably find on Twitter if you search Wyatt Kalina. He really impressed me with his skill also. So, you know, I thought that Kalinuk and um, Hogberg were very impressive under-the-radar defensemen uh, during camp. Yeah. Um, one, I'm just looking over uh, the roster here couple guys and then we'll kind of move on from this a little bit but a couple guys that i liked seeing was uh max sushko 
I thought he, I thought he, I mean, he scored, he scored, I think what he had like four goals or three goals in the tournament. Um, I think he really put on a pretty good offensive display, showed a lot of his skill, you know, his, his puck movement and his shot was, was pretty on point. And then, um, uh, Marcus Westfall, is that how you pronounce that? You're the, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I think, and this was the, uh, they took him obviously, this year, uh, I think he, you know, I think he showed some good things. He made some, you know, it looks like he has some, he has good vision of the ice when he's out there. He made some pretty impressive passes. Um, you know, it just looks like he's a, a fairly smart hockey player, a nice guy that, you know, they could just let him hone his skills out in Sweden or wherever he's going to play next season. So, but all in all, look, there's. There's a lot to be excited about, and the more that you were talking about guys like Morgan Frost, when you're talking about guys like Isaac Ratcliffe and Carter Hart, I'm over here just smiling ear to ear because I am just so excited the direction this team's going with these guys. You know, they're not all that far off. It's not like we're looking five years down the road before we start to see these guys. Hopefully within the next year or two, you're going to start to see them up with the Flyers and really you know, showing what they can do at the NHL level. That Look, we've known this for a while. The Flyers' future is as bright as any other team in the NHL. And it's nice, you know, in the middle of the summer when it's hot as hell out and, you know, you, you just don't want to be outside because you feel like you're going to die of heat stroke to, you know, go, go into a uh, nice cold hockey rink for a couple hours and see some really skilled young guys that you are going to see blossom in the Flyers organization over the next couple of years. But do you, uh, do you want to piss some people off out there? Yeah. The well, first, before I do that, let me just say, because I, I tweeted this out today that one thing that's really fun to think about is all of the Flyers top six forwards, right? Jeru, Couturier, Konechny, Van Riemsdyk, Nolan Patrick, and Jake Voracek, they are all under team control until at least 2022. So that is 18, 19, 19, 20, 21. That's four more seasons. Okay. So, Behind that, you've got what I think is the best prospect pool I've ever seen of any NHL team. And you're going to be filling in the third and fourth lines with those guys or elevating some of them to the, you know, to the uh, to the first and second line. So you've got those top six I talked about. And then you're going to have guys like Joel Farabee, Morgan Frost, Jay O'Brien, Isaac Ratcliffe, Wade Allison, who was injured and didn't play in this year's camp. Garamond Rupsov, Maxim Sushko, Mikhail Vorobia, Nicholas Alley-Kubel, Scott Lawton, Oscar Lindblom. You're going to have all of those guys who are going to be filling in, filling out the rest of the roster with those top six that I already mentioned. It's going to be crazy because you could argue that Farabee and O'Brien could be ready uh, to join the NHL not this coming season, but maybe the season after. It's it's possible. Jay O'Brien is already, you know, pretty physically advanced. I mean, he's not as tall as Faraby, but he's got a lot of muscle movement, and I think he's gonna be a guy who's really gonna progress quickly. So it's this team is gonna be absolutely locked and loaded. Like in a couple of years from now, that forward group is gonna be crazy, and we already know how good the defensemen are with Probrum, Bosses, Fair. Sandheim, Myers, um, and then if harder Sandstrom works out. So it's, man, it's exciting. Yeah, it's a big deal. It's huge. Can't wait. Can't wait for this season. Can't wait for these guys to come up. Um, so the other big news out there, 
that's making its way around the Twitter sphere. And it's really a source of a lot of contention with Flyers fans right now is a story that I don't know if you could say broke because it's not like breaking news. It's not anything really with any validity to it whatsoever. It was an opinion piece put out by NBC Sports that named five teams in the NHL most likely or the best fit to land Ottawa Senators star defenseman Eric Carlson. And of course, the Flyers were named on this list. And of course... After this story hits, everybody freaks out and starts throwing all these trade scenarios out there, arguing with each other whether or not it's a good idea to get Eric Carlson, to not get Eric Carlson, just when things were like, really, you know, they were even keel for a little bit. Everyone was kind of getting along with the JVR signing. You know, it wasn't, you know, you're never going to have 100% uh, you know, cohesion with the fan base. But just when things are lightening up a little bit, this thing hits and all hell has broken loose ever since. And there have been so many idiotic things put out there that people want, that people are willing to give up to get Eric Carlson here. A guy who's going to be a free agent at the end of the season, who's coming off injuries who hasn't played all that well after a major ankle injury like a year ago and people are willing to sell the farm and blow cap space in accepting Bobby Ryan's contract just to get this guy in here and it's just it's mind-boggling that all the years we've waited and wanted the Flyers to have cap space, people are just ready to piss it all away with Eric Carlson and Bobby Ryan in hopes that, I don't know, he just, I mean, he's obviously a great player, but at what cost are you willing to get in a great player that you could just sign next offseason? Well, I mean, that's, the question is at what cost, right? I mean, I think the assumption at this point is that Whoever trades for Eric Carlson, Carlson will have already agreed with him to a multi-year, probably eight-year extension. Right? Right. The Flyers have room to add someone like an Eric Carlson if they want. The question is, at what cost? So Bill Meltzer, who's one of the top Flyers columnists, wrote a column today basically where he said that he thought that the discussion would start with Shane Gostisbehere and Travis Konechny. That's what the Ottawa GM would say. Ron yeah. Axtell would say, Hell no, I'm not giving you those two guys, um, you know, and then maybe try and build a deal around Ghost, which I don't think he, you know, I think Otto would want a lot more than Ghost. I don't think Kextall's going to do that. Look, here's the way I think about it. If the Flyers could add Eric Carlson and only have to give up, like, a first-round pick, Travis Sanheim, Garamond Rupsov, Jordan Wheel, something like that, and you're, you're talking about a very good defense prospect in Sandheim. Uh, German Rupsov, who was a first-round pick, who's been okay, not great. Jordan Wheel, who's an NHL player right now, who's a, who's a decent player, and a first-round pick, something like that. You know, I, I would certainly consider that, probably do it. But the reality is someone's going to probably give Ottawa a lot more than that. So, mm-hmm. look, I get it. Flyers fans want to sign everybody. They want to trade for everybody that's out there. And... Twitter's a place where, you know, people love calling each other idiots and, and all this stuff. But the 
the reality is, is that there's very little chance the Flyers are going to uh, part with the assets that it would take to get Eric Carlson. Ron Hexall is very confident in what he's building with this and he's not just going to move a bunch of these parts he has hand to be part of this team's future to get Eric Carlson. And by the way, I agree with you. a lot of question marks about Carlson. He's coming off that major ankle surgery. He wasn't as good last year. Even he said that he's lost a little bit of a step. I'd be pretty scared signing that guy to an eight-year deal. So as far as I'm concerned, let someone else overpay for him and let's keep building what we're building. Yeah. See, here's uh, you said people like calling other people idiots on Twitter. Well, here's one of the idiots, and I can't tell if this is a real tweet, if this is a real thought. But at fly goal scored by on Twitter suggests Morgan Frost, Phil Myers, Travis Sanheim, 2019 first round pick for Eric Carlson. He says it's a yes for me, dog. This is the bullshit that you get into. You can't just go giving up every good player that you acquired over this rebuild that they're going through for Eric Carlson. Look, would I love Eric Carlson? Absolutely. But I'm not going to go selling the farm for Eric Carlson. I'm not going to go give up all of these prospects and draft picks for Eric Carlson because because of those question marks and because you one player does not make a team and – What's and what's probably going to end up happening is a more Stanley Cup ready team. And I, I saw earlier that talks are picking up a little bit with Ottawa and Tampa Bay. A Tampa Bay like team is more inclined to overpay for a guy like Carlson because they are in win now mode. They are not trying to, you know, cultivate and you know and develop a large and a strong prospect pool. They have a team that could very likely, not likely, but they have a team that could and probably will compete for a Stanley Cup in this upcoming season. So getting a guy like Carlson could put them over the top to do so. So it's going to be a team like like a Tampa Bay that's going to throw out the big price, and eventually they're going to come down to it and say, does Eric Carlson make us a better team? Does Eric Carlson give us a chance to win a Stanley Cup this year? Ultimately, the answer will be yes. They'll look what Ottawa is offering, and they'll just say, screw it. It's either we're in this business to win Stanley Cups, so let's go ahead and do it. A guy like Eric Carlson doesn't come around every year, and that's just that. But the Flyers, it would be it would be idiotic, it would be moronic, and it would just be not – it's not in Ron Hextall's nature to go out and he – look, we, me and you talked about it before. When he had to give up the third-round pick to get Peter Morazic, we felt his pain. We felt his physical nausea when he had to give away picks just for Peter Morazic. I don't think he's going to give up more top prospects and more top draft picks for Eric Carlson when they have a strong defensive core with this team already. I don't see it happening. The likelihood is almost non-existent, but, you know, people are going to argue about it anyway. So there's nothing we could do but just sit back and, and enjoy the bickering and the bitching back and forth on Twitter. And that's, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. We had to get it out. I mean, it, sometimes it gets – Twitter's great, uh, but it can also be very it, – it can cause stress and it can be exhausting at times, but – you know, it is what it is. That's the nature of the beast, and we will continue to deal with it because it's 2018. So, Dan, 
I think this was good. I think we informed the people out there a lot on some of the things they missed at the prospect camp at the three on three tournament. It was, you know, it's obviously always a great time down there during the summer to watch a little bit of hockey and cool off a little bit. So you obviously put out your recap of the prospect camp. Where can the people find that and where can they hear your golden nuggets of knowledge on hockey and the so Flyers? You can follow me on Twitter at atdsilver88. And yeah, I put up that article. It's one of my favorite ones of the year. Always to uh, to get out there is the um, development camp tournament recap. I love it because all the photos and all the videos in the article are from me. I like having all the content coming right from my phone. Uh, check it out at phillyisflyer.com. That's www.phillyisflyer.com. And uh, you can check out that article. Right. And of course, follow Philly is Flyer at uh, Philly is Flyer on Twitter. And as for me, you can check me out on Twitter at MarkFlagman, two N's. And you can check out this show's Twitter account at underscore get bullied, where you will see links to previous episodes. And of course, we also always share the wonderful articles put out by the fine people at Philly is Flyer. So until next time, try to stay cool out there, and hopefully the heat lightens up a little bit on us. But until we get to do this all over again, have a good life. Let's go Flyers.